Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Glasgow Motorway Archive podcast. As you know by now, a podcast all about the history and construction of the city's motorways and network of expressways. I'm Stuart Baird. And I'm John Hassel. This month we're going to be talking to you about why the motorways are built where they are. If that makes sense. Yep. So tell us more about that, Stuart. So we're going to talk about why motorways such as the M8 are built where they are. Why wasn't it a mile north, half a mile south? Hmm. Why is it where it is? Yeah. And that grows out from the subject of comprehensive development areas, of which there were 29, mm-hmm. uh, and then they were developed during the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Now, this is one of these subjects that comes up frequently, but not one that we've covered in any real detail. No. Um, a lot of people will ask questions like, why was the M8 put there? Why didn't they take it through there? Why did they have to demolish all this stuff? So we are aiming tonight to give you answers. Yeah. Uh, a comprehensive development is a big part of the, the city's history mm-hmm. uh, and planning. So I'm going to cover that in some detail. So I've been doing quite a bit of research on that. Yeah. Uh, hopefully that will enlighten some people. You've memorised all the areas, I hope. to challenge a number of widely held assumptions in this podcast. Okay. That is my aim. And if when we get to the end, we've, we've done that, mm-hmm. then I will have achieved something. Okay. All right. Well, also this month we have the questions. We do. So after we finish talking about the comprehensive development areas, we'll have... As I can see, some of the usual suspects have sent us in some questions, so they're always fun to answer. Thanks yeah. for that. The usual old suspects, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> as you say, there's a few come in there, so we'll get through them as quickly as possible. Conscious of the, the fact that we don't want to waffle too much. No, not, not at all. No. Not at all. That's a terrible thing. Can't be waffling. No, exactly. So let's just get straight into this subject then. Okay. All right. So I think... We're going to start with the M8 because the M8 is probably the most important motorway in the city. When really, when you think about it, it goes right across from one end to the other, and, right. and, and I see that from a historic point of view. Hmm. The M74 came much later. The different process behind it. Okay, so I'm going to start. And we're talking about the urban M8 here, as yes. in like the inner so, ring road. So we are talking about specifically tonight. We're going to be talking about mostly the M8 between Bailston and Hillington. Okay. Okay, with one or two other bits and bobs thrown in. As part right. of the consideration of the over, overall network. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, a lot of people will say to us, the motorway had a, a terrible impact on certain areas of the city. Yeah. Be it Charing Cross, Townhead, mm-hmm. Anderston, Tradeston, these sorts of areas. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, there seems to be a widely held view among many people that most of the demolition that happened um, away from the motorway, you know, so thinking 200 metres, 300 metres away from where the motorway is, people seem to assume that that demolition took place for the motorway. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And the intention tonight is that I will actually demonstrate that most, if not all of the demolition actually, was as part of the city's plans for comprehensive development. Not when you say comprehensive development, that's not just comprehensive development of a road network. No, it, you're talking about housing and shops yes. and, and and kind of yeah well, communities and things. So basically, yeah. it, it it takes us back to 1947 when we had the Town and Country Planning Act. All right, and that act basically allowed local authorities to acquire property um, in designated areas using powers of compulsory purchase in order to completely replan and develop urban areas that were felt to be suffering from urban blight or, in many cases, war damage. Yeah. Okay, now in Glasgow's case, in the city centre and the areas surrounding the city centre, that wasn't applicable, no. war damage. But urban blight certainly was, and there was abject poverty and squalid conditions in a number of areas. Mm. That was the same across much of the UK. Yeah. So the Town and Country Planning Act allowed local authorities to go into areas and say, you know what? These areas are really in quite poor condition. Mm-hmm. We're going to designate you as a comprehensive development area, which means we're going to completely demolish you and mm-hmm. clear you out and rebuild you and redevelop you and build nice modern houses and provide nice modern facilities. Okay. Now, that was the aim. Right. Okay. What we won't be discussing tonight mm-hmm. is whether it was successful a failure or otherwise because yeah. everybody will have their own view on what they think of post-war housing and post-war facilities and post-war development yeah. but what we're going to discuss is how the motorway system and the road system proposed in glasgow fitted in within these comprehensive development areas or cdas yeah. as they were commonly known okay. okay 
So Robert Bruce's 1945 first planning report identified a number of areas across the city that were in really quite poor condition. Gorbals is one area that comes to mind. And uh, his second planning report that came in 1947 started to specifically earmark and look at certain areas. Yeah, in certain areas and highlight them and prioritise you, you, you said this was the, the Bruce report. Yes. So that was the one, just to familiarise everyone, uh, that was the one that actually proposed demolishing the entire city centre, wasn't it? Correct. That's right. It mm-hmm. was also the first report that actually proposed a new and modern road system for Glasgow. Yeah. It was the first to propose the Clyde Tunnel and also an inner ring road. Yeah. So, so roads it was the, roads and the housing as well. It looked yeah. at everything. And the Town and Country Planning Act kind of backed that up and said, yeah, okay, we understand that planning needs a joined-up approach. You can't just do buildings at one point, then do the roads, then do the schools, then do, no. you know, let's just do everything in one go. And we'll give you the powers to, to enable you to go and include these areas. Okay. And it wasn't just as simple a case as that, because the corporation would have to do feasibility studies and actually justify that an area was in need of comprehensive development mm. they would then make an application to the secretary of state for scotland at that time who would then approve or reject the proposal okay mm. now in glasgow's case most of the cdas were developed through the 1950s and uh, there were 29 of them in total and i yeah. am actually going to tell you what the 29 were i was going to say you memorized these didn't you Stuart? i, I would like to say that i had memorized <laughs> them. i could probably tell you about half of them so off you, the top of my if head. If you're listening to this, you might these areas might come up and you go, oh my goodness, I live there. You're yeah. part of the CDA. Yeah. So of the 29 comprehensive development areas that were um, first mooted in the 1950s, yep. they are as follows. And in no particular order. Mary Hill, North Kelvin Side, Hamilton Hill, Possel Park, Springburn, Site Hill, Garnet Hill, Cow Cadence, Town Head, Royston Hill, Well Park, White Inch, Partick, Anderston, Glasgow Cross, Gallagate, Elder Park, Govan, Kenning Park, Shields Road, Lauriston, Hutchison Town, Gorbals, Bridgeton, Govan Hill, Palmody, Parkhead, Shettleston, Tollcross, and Park Shaws. That's 29. Okay. Now, I should say that not all of these areas ultimately became CDAs and they weren't all ultimately cleared. We know through an interview we did with a planner a couple of years ago that Partick in particular uh, fought hard against the CDA there and most of it was ultimately thrown out. Yeah. Um, and Mary Hill, there's aspects of the Mary Hill area as well that, that didn't go ahead and others. And I, I, others. I was going to say that and I was just going to put something in here from um, the perspective of the people who would have been living in these areas mm-hmm. that you were saying had suffered from urban blight, suffered yeah. from squalor. You know, there's this thing some people have, they might be like, well, you know, I might live in a place that people consider a dump, yep. but it's my dump. That's right. And I don't want to be moved yeah. and have this community broken apart mm-hmm. and all this this new future put, you know, forced upon us. So what chance did these people have? How, how did they fight back well, against this this act? That That's not really something that we're going to cover. But, but um, some areas, well, a lot of these areas went ahead, yeah. but some then didn't. And you said, you know, with Partick in particular, they yeah. did fight back Because it was it. felt in some areas that actually conditions weren't maybe as bad as they were in others. So now, they reviewed it based on some yeah. people going, oh, hold on a minute. Okay. But as, mm-hmm. as I'm going to tell you, I'm right. going to explain, the corporation had priority CDAs. Okay, now I'm going to tell you what four of those priority CDAs were. And okay. when I've told you what they are, I want you to tell me what immediately comes into your mind. Okay. Okay. Townhead, Cow okay. Cadence, mm-hmm. Anderston, Tradeston, Hutchison Town, Lauriston. That's five. What actually comes into your mind when I tell you in, when in I a ring road? Exactly. In a ring road. Exactly. Now I know that that Gobbles, uh, I think Lauriston as well. Uh, that that's where the corner of the east and the south flanks yeah. were meant to go. Those were the priority CDAs, and they surrounded the central area. Now, they were considered to be amongst the worst of any parts of the city. Mm. Gorbals in particular. Townhead. Okay. Very densely populated exactly. as well. Ripe for redevelopment in the eyes of, of the corporation. So, the CDAs were developed as part of the structure plan during the 1950s. Initially in 1955. And then the quinquennial review mm-hmm. came along in 1959. And they started looking at them in detail. And the corporation was really keen to move forward with these CDAs. But they couldn't do that because at that time, the Highways Department 
had not definitively marked out their line for the inner ring road. So they wouldn't want to go charging ahead, building all this stuff, and then no room to fit exactly this this mooted inner exactly. ring road. So all of this came ah, first. Okay, all right. So 1960, they say, hang on a minute here. We can't move forward with these CDAs until we know where the road's going to go because we mm. can't build two dozen tower blocks there. Yeah. And then you're going to want to squeeze a motorway or a new road through. So get your roads plans done and get them done quickly. And that's why in 1960, when Scott Wilson and Kirkpatrick were appointed, that the, the initial priority was to devise a definitive line and design for the inner ring road. Mm-hmm. Okay. And by 1961, as we've spoken about many times, we had a nice box around the city centre okay. that went through each of these comprehensive development areas. So Scott Wilson, when they were appointed, must have worked with the planning department <clears throat> and, and be given all the information available on what these priority CDAs were. Exactly. Right. Now, the CDAs had already been granted planning permission. They were already approved. Mm. So when it came to actually looking at where the inner ring road could go, mm-hmm. they couldn't deviate very much from the approved plan. And I think John Cullen told me at one point that really that meant not being able to shift the road any more than a couple of hundred metres on either side of where it ultimately ended up mm-hmm. because it was within an approved area. Yeah, and if they wanted right. to move a part of the road out with that approved area, think East Flank in particular, yeah. the corporation or the highways people would hit back and go, ah, hang on, no, we have an approved plan here. If you deviate from that plan, we're going to have to go through the planning committee again and that could lead to delays and questions and queries and it could hold the whole thing up. Mm-hmm. So in the case of the east flank, where people like John Collin and others early on were going, this is a bit close to High Street, this is a bit close to Glasgow Green, mm-hmm. they were told, no, that's the corridor, work the, with it. And and do your best. Exactly. Yeah. So I see how that is now. So you've yeah. got this this area mm-hmm. of the city centre being drawn around, based like a yeah. donut, yeah. saying this is all what we're going to be developing. Get the road somewhere within this footprint. Yeah. Now it's at this point, we then can say hmm. that if it had been decided not to proceed with the motorway, that the CDA would have gone ahead regardless. So all those houses would have been yeah. cleared because out. Because the anyway. houses weren't being demolished just for the motorway. They were being developed because mm-hmm. of the poor condition that they were in and because the city wanted to put people in better accommodation. They wanted to rebuild areas. And the best example of that is probably Lauriston and Gorbals where a lot of the demolition went ahead anyway, even though the east flank and the south flank never came. Yeah, you can see evidence of that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so in the case of Townhead, now we got a lot of comments and questions from people saying, oh, they cleared away so much of Townhead for the motorway and it was a disgrace and people have, you know, beliefs and, and views on it that are, you know, stretched yeah. back years in some cases. Mm-hmm. In the case of Townhead, something like 85% of Townhead was cleared for the CDA. It wasn't cleared for the motorway interchange or for the for the M8 skipping around the north of it. Okay. it so a lot of people have an idea that the clearance happened because of the motorway. But it was the other way about. It was it really was... the other way around. The motorway fitted in to an area that was already going to be cleared. It provided a convenient corridor. Mm-hmm. That's why in some regards, actually parts of the M8 through the centre of Glasgow got constructed. Because if, if it had entirely being good quality housing and buildings and there was no CDAs, it would have been much more difficult to drive a new road through there. Yeah. Now, Charing Cross is the exception here because it wasn't a CDA. But the route through Charing Cross is basically dictated by topography. Yeah, I was going to say about Charing Cross, that that wasn't an area, but you have these two CDAs either side of it. Yeah. How are you going to link them up? That's right. It has to go So getting the road from St George's Cross, Cowcadden, is round to Anderson Mm. through through Charing Cross, and, and Charing Cross is the low point between the two hills, Park yeah. Circus and Garnet Hill. Although, we did say Garnet Hill was actually earmarked for a CDA, but that doesn't seem to be one of the ones that went ahead, yeah. based on fact the number of tenements that there are still, still, still there. there. Yeah. Charing Cross, incidentally, was the only part within a ring road that was uh, procured uh, using traditional roads orders, so traditional compulsory purchase and, mm-hmm. and the like. There's a lot of the properties in these areas. Like, so we're looking at, say, um, say let's take Townhead because we've spoken about that. See the properties in there, residential. Were they all municipal houses? So it was quite easy for them to turn around and say, no, not entirely. Right. Yeah, a a large proportion of them were owned by the corporation. 
Yeah. But there were a lot of private rented properties in those areas, particularly in Cowcaddens and St George's Cross. Okay. But one of the things that John Cullen always made... So they the were point, owned then? They were owned, but because the city had rent controls at that time, there was a cap on how much rent a private owner or landlord could charge a tenant. So they were limited in what they could actually make for the property. So it was actually relatively cheap to buy up a lot of this property through... Because they weren't the worth much because exactly. of the rent controls. Exactly. And as John Cullen always said, a lot, if not all, certainly a high proportion of these private landlords were actually quite happy to sell because they got a slightly higher value for the property than they would have, say, if they'd sold it on the, the market. Okay. Well, this is it, and it, it rings true now that sometimes compulsory purchase orders can be a godsend if you're in a property that actually isn't worth that yeah. much or you yeah. want rid of anyway. So, so you know, so there was that aspect, you know, to yeah. consider as well. Now, thinking about it today, if you think of the north flank of the inner ring, it's the M8 between Townhead and St George's Cross, mm. that is a classic setup of the motorway going through to adjacent CDAs. Yeah. And there was a lot of demolition happened in there to allow the motorway to go through. But there was way more demolished than needed to be just for the road. And I think that's what a lot of people picked up on. Yeah, they see this... Yeah. This, <clears throat> sorry to use the word, but scar yeah. going across. Uh, and we've shared loads of photos like that on social media these years, and they yeah. really are striking. Yeah. You know, but it's much wider demolition that's required for a road. That's right. You can clearly see that. It makes sense now. Yeah. But it was ultimately for, for comprehensive development to try and... So houses first and then try and fit a road through it. Yeah. Now, I have some more notes and things here um, right. on CDAs. Um, by the time we got to the 1970s, they, they had start to, started to go out of favour. And the, the idea of them was basically killed off when local government was reorganised in 1975. So when the regional councils came in, there was an entirely different approach to planning. And then more local plans and more structure plans started to be, to be developed after that. Some of the CDAs were controversial, as we said. Um, and some of them, the replacement housing that was built in some of them wasn't exactly successful either. Yeah, um, some of them have been successful. Yeah. Others, but as you said, we're not going to go into no. that too much. We won't go into that indeed, because that's a whole other aspect of social history that uh, <laughs> there we're, are we're not, far we're, more qualified than us to discuss. I know, we're not total experts on that. Yeah, but from the road's point of view, it provided a unique opportunity to squeeze a road through areas that were ultimately going to be cleared anyway. Hmm. You know. So what's the big deal then? <laughs> well, the big deal is that four, more than 4,800 houses were demolished uh, yeah. in the city centre alone. Um, now, some of these people who lived in these places, were, were, was it, how is it, I don't know, but I'm just imagining you've stayed there, but you're going to be given this nice new house with an indoor no, toilet. You're, you're, would, yeah. would you be, still be in the area or would it decide, because it was also the New Towns Act yeah. that came in, were, were people then going to be moved out to And then there was also instead? the satellite housing schemes as well. So, yeah. So, the, and again, we're not necessarily best qualified to, to discuss this, but in some cases... In all cases, someone who was moved from a squalid house or a house that was considered to be uninhabitable, yeah. Yeah. okay, or, or not unfit for habitation was the, the phrase that the corporation would use or the term that they would use. So anyone who was moved out of such a property would be moved into a modern house. So that could be a flat in Easter House or it could be, as they would say, a back and front door in Cumbernauld. Mm -hmm. Okay. It wasn't necessarily within the area or the community that they had lived uh, right, for okay. many years. Wonder about their employment. I, I suppose maybe yeah. they got a choice. I don't know. There's lots of so, questions. So you, yeah. you know, so there's a way more social aspects to it than just oh, they were given a nice new house. Yeah. Which they might have been, but it might have been quite far away from where the where their friends had lived or their family had lived. Or, you know, so th okay. there's a whole other aspect to that as well that you know you, mm -hmm. you need to consider. But it allowed for this shiny, big, wide. In a ring road, yeah, to come and along. this urban motorway to come along, um, so that covers that covers the inner ring road aspect of it. So mm. all of the inner ring road was within areas of comprehensive development. When we start thinking of other parts of the M8, okay, because there are other parts of the M8 in the city and other roads in the city. So if we take the Clyde Said Expressway for example, yeah, because that's another good one. It terminates at the eastern end in the Anderson CDA. So any clearance there had happened as part of the Anderson CDA, mm -hmm. and that provided a convenient link to the new For Kingston Ring Road. As well. the Kingston as yeah. well. And then the route of the road heading west was basically along, at that point, the riverbank. 
Yeah, the, the old Bank docks. Yeah, and through old docks and industrial land. Okay, mm -hmm. so it was mostly industrial. The there was a is. wee bit of demolition at the far end, at the Clyde Tunnel end. Mm -hmm. But again, that was part of the CDA. And the Clyde Tunnel approaches on both sides of the river had elements of CDA in them as well. Mm. Um, and it was tenemental properties that were demolished to make to way, make way for, for, for new parts of road and, and, and new housing. Uh, White Inch, there's some new house. You know, there's blocks. Uh, is it Broom, Broom Hill? Broom House Road? I'll have to get the map up. Yeah. Look, but... um, uh, you know, the, the White Inch end. So that's thinking about the Clyde South Expressway. You know, just thinking about the other roads at hand. Mm -hmm. Bringing it back to the M8. The Monkland Motorway isn't really a good example. Although it is. The, the Monkland Motorway, though, I mean, we, we spoke about this, uh, I think one of our talks m focusing on the canal, it had this wonderful alignment already on top of the canal, which yeah. they filled in. So this canal was sitting there just... Um, but, unused. Stuart, there is a lot of that post-war housing along that route. You but know? I, the demolition along the route to make way for the M8, I believe, was a handful yeah. of properties. Very few got Round about the Cumbernauld Road mm -hmm. area, um, there wasn't a lot of demolition elsewhere because east of Cumbernauld Road at that time um, there hadn't been a lot of houses built close because it was all 60s built houses if you think around about Junction 11 Gart Craig mm -hmm. you know at the bend at Gart Craig Road and then you've got the two uh, sorry the three tower high high rises that sit to the That's south the of the, the big wall on yep. the bend yeah yeah and the name of that area has gone completely out of my head and it's very well known <laughs> they were all built with future plans in mind yeah because they had popped up from nothing basically that was just empty space on the whole prior to that. So so the canal provided a nice convenient route for the motorway heading from Townhead all the way out to Bailiston. Mm. So that was all built on previously undeveloped land. Yeah. Okay. So there wasn't a lot of demolition required for that part of it. So you can see this nice convenient corridor there as well. On the other side of the city, going from Kingston on the Renfrew motorway, yeah. so the section, say, from Kingston Bridge out to plantation where the m77 goes off run about dumbreck there was a lot of demolition there mm. but again that was part of the that was part of the cda yeah um and that that meant that it could accommodate this behemoth yeah that is the plantation exactly. braided interchange so, yeah. <clears throat> as i mentioned in my list earlier kenning park and shields road mm. were two cdas in that part of the city that, that did go ahead uh, yeah to that an makes extent. sense now although they didn't see just as much modern housing and I say modern in the context of the time. Um, they didn't see just as much, you know, 1960s-style flats and things built. There are some, but not in the scale, say, of uh, Anderson yeah. uh, or Gorbals you know, or, you know, places like that. So, yeah. so there was a, there was a bit of clearance there. Although a lot of the Renfrew Motorway at Plantation actually went through industrial yeah, sites yeah. as well. Mm -hmm. Scotland Street, you know, parts like that. That takes us to Dumbreck Road. From there, the motorway actually passed through Again, some empty land. There was Plantation Park. It then passed through the old White City Stadium that mm. sat just to the east of Helen Street. And it then basically skirts the main railway line out towards Cardonald. Yeah. And then it went through a lot of empty land at Cardonald and then joined up with the motorway Hillington. Yeah, the okay. existing Renfrew Bypass. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the entire length of M8s from Bailiston all the way to Hillington, really the only area that was or was subject to demolition for the motorway was Charing Cross. Mm -hmm. Because everything on either side was either empty or, or was already earmarked to be emptied. Regardless of if a motorway was Re coming or not. Regardless of whether the motorway was coming or not. The houses were going to go. And in the case of Shield Road and Kenning Park, mm. most of the clearance had happened before the Renfrew motorway actually was approved. I say approved in the sense that actually provided with the funding to allow it to move forward. Hmm. Obviously, the corridor was approved in 1965. Yeah. Um, possibly even slightly earlier than that. Yeah. But you, you see the point. Yeah. You see the point there. Now, other roads that were built within the city boundary. So the next one I'm thinking about here would be the M77. Um, so the air motorway, the air road route, whatever you want to call it, that was all empty land. Yeah. Even the, the section through Pollock Estate. Yeah, I was going to say, yep. there's, there's the park there. All empty. Very, very limited demolition at the north northern end of the M77, uh, around about Dumbreck Road for that. The M80, um, some properties were demolished there, though not part of CDA, but they, were, they weren't they were in particularly great 
condition. Was it was it residential things that were demolished for the Re- M80? Residential, yeah, around about Black Hill. Oh, there was right, some demolition. Okay. But by that time that came, that was the nineties, and that was that was it property was, that was you know poor. Poor at that point. Yeah. It, was, it was probably <clears> stuff <throat> that might have been put up in the sixties, and and because they did start getting rid of things in the nineties. Yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, and in terms of the, like the M seventy four is a slightly special case because the corridor for that was developed later because it wasn't yeah. in the highway plan. Yeah. You know, and there was some demolition, but again, mostly industrial. I mean, generally, you have three choices when you're putting roads through cities. Is one is you you've got to put it through residential, which means demolishing things, or you put it through brownfield, which is kind of what the M74 done because a lot of it was uh, industrial. Yeah. Or you go through greenbelt. Yeah. Which is kind of really what the M77 was doing. That, you know, that's right. You know, that's right. And it's so for that there's reason. There's no easy way around it. Yeah. You know, it's for that reason that we can say that eighty percent of the roads that were built in Glasgow were built on either empty or undeveloped land. Hmm. And that doesn't include the sections in the city centre where there was demolition. Because then we can say 75% of it was built through land that was being cleared as part of comprehensive development. Mm-hmm. So the next time someone says to you, Oi, all that demolition happened for that motorway, you know, you will actually be able to factually incorrect to state that all this demolition happened to allow for the motorway. That, that's simply not true. It was demolition for comprehensive development. Mm-hmm. All right. Do you have any questions on that that you would like to come back with? Well, you did say at the start we shouldn't go into the various merits of things and so on back forward, but um, no, not really at the moment. I just, I, th- I think to myself is, is I, I, can, I can put a point across mm-hmm. is that while it's fair enough to say, okay, you know, these areas were going to be developed, not just for the road, but yeah. then suddenly you end up with the area being developed and <clears> then <throat> this urban motorway in it. And anyone that's re- then relocated back to that area or was already near that area anyway, yeah, suddenly has to live next to an urban motorway. That's right. And you could say, well, they could have redeveloped the area and not built the new roads. You're, you're right. It kind of, yeah, it goes but around in a circle that way, you know. Put yourself, as we always try to mm. do, in the context of the time. Mm-hmm. They were trying to improve communications. They were trying to improve links. Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, I'm, I'm going to put myself in the thinking of a time as somebody who's lived in one of these areas and they got redeveloped and then suddenly the motorway's there and I think to myself, well, actually... That's really convenient because I found, I mean, you've done the same. I mean, whenever we're looking for a place to live, yeah. we'll go, we want good transport links. We're going to want a train station or we want it, you know, near to, near enough to the motorway. It's probably the same thing that some of these people had. However, there's that whole argument they have in Glasgow about car ownership. Yeah. It was quite low. So <clears> were, the, were these areas actually being well served locally by the motorway? We don't know. I think we can, we can state to, to a degree of certainty that some of these areas weren't adversely affected by the fact that the motorway was next to them. So if you think of Cow Cadens, for example, that whole development there has actually been pretty successful and it's still fairly well regarded. It hasn't been affected by the same social problems that some of the other CDAs, like Gorbals and Lauriston, for example, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, weren't very pleasant places yeah. to be within 15, 20 years. Cow Cadens and Anderston, they've been redeveloped and they're still fairly... You know, sought after. Yeah, they have housing yeah. association looking after them now. Uh, I think there's a waiting list to get a house in the Cowcans area. Anderson, the blocks at Anderson are the same. Yeah, Townhead. Pretty... I don't know just so much about Townhead, but it's a lot of low-rise housing in Townhead as well. Hmm. It's all full. Um, you know, nobody seems to be put off by the fact that it isn't pretty close to Turn Urban Motorway. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's difficult to be able to say, well, people are very used to it yeah, <laughs> at this point. You know. You know um, <clears throat> so yeah. it's something do something to consider something that, that I put out there yeah um, no it, it's good to bring these things out because it's <clears throat> always something we get asked that yeah. is so, but, but the next time and, and again I, I thought we would cover this because there have been a few comments on Twitter recently whenever we share one of the photos from Townhead or from Cow Cadden's uh, or Charing Cross and people say oh that demolition that motorway for that motorway it was ridiculous but just mm-hmm. to try and bring a bit of context to it you know and say, well hang on a minute it was happening anyway you mean you might still have Townhead cleared of all those old tenements in Castle Street that lovely high yeah. street that existed there and it was nice we, we show the photos very yeah. nice and that was all coming away regardless 
Yeah. You know, it was going to be Rick we, Yeah, even if in some parallel universe the M8 never happened, you'd still be looking at the same aerial yeah, photos. Exactly. We're just sharing them in a <clears throat> Moto A context. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. So. All right. Okay, so will we move on to our questions then? Okay, so the first question here is uh, one from Twitter, and it's our friend Murphy again. All right. Murphy yep. was... Uh, was the guy who asked us the question about public transport and, and what our wait. fantasy projects were. Yeah. And we took like was three it, episodes or something to answer. I was gonna it, say yeah. three years to answer it, <laughs> sit and think up what we were, were coming up with. It wasn't that bad. It was, it was bad, but was it wasn't good. that bad. Yeah. Hopefully he asks us it again at some point so we can we can do some more of it. <laughs> now Murphy's come back with a question uh this episode and he says, Hey guys, do we know why the Monkland motorway, so that's the M eight out in the east. Uh, was prioritised to be built first over and above, say, the south-east-north link motorways okay. or the other <clears throat> inner flanks? Was e- it funding, planning, viability, demand, public relations reasons, or some combination? It was none of those, I'm afraid. Oh. Um, it was simply a case of that the priority was for the completion of a motorway straight across the city. Uh, so they had a convenient line across yeah. the map and go. So that it. was the that was the M8. Uh, the Monkland Motorway obviously being part of that. So the intention was that in stage one um, that we would see the motorway from Hillington to Bailston completed by 1975. Now it was a wee bit behind that for various reasons, um, but that was always the always the intention, hmm. simply for ease of construction. And that was the one scheme that the Scottish Office or Scottish Development Department had backed. As well. Okay. Uh, the other schemes, I do not believe the other schemes ever were specifically earmarked for Scottish Office funding. Obviously, they were kind of approved in the sense that the highway plan was approved for the city by the Scottish Office. Mm-hmm. Uh, aspects of the trunk network, the trunk road network tying into that had been. Uh, but that's really about as far as it went. So the M8 really was the only one that was ever really approved. Because the Scottish Office is looking from a national perspective. Yeah. And get the M8 from east to west. And it tied in done. nicely with the A8 at Brigetti and the other A8 or the M8 Renfrew Bypass that they were devising themselves at the other end. Yeah. So yeah. So that's the reason for that one. Nice and easy. Okay. Well, that's it. You can ask me some. Yeah. I guess a bit time. Time you did something. <laughs> I've no promises I can answer <clears throat> them, but you know I might just bounce them back right at you. Well, that's always a possibility. <laughs> Anyway, less often. So Stuart McCree on Facebook asks, with the benefit of hindsight and given the explosion in car usage, can you argue whether it was right to halt projects like the Maryhill Motorway and the eastern flank of the Ring Road? Um, And then, a second part to the question, after coronavirus, it will come. Yeah, we hope so. We hope so. Uh, will car usage decline? Okay, John, let's let's deal with these in two two separate ways. Let's deal with the, the, the cancellation originally of some of these schemes first. Okay. Uh, and and do you think um, you can... Was it right to halt projects like the Mary Hill Motorway? I think... Speak, speak about Mary Hill. No, it wasn't. Because there was a lot of effort put into the north flank to try and accommodate that connection yeah. that you can still see there. They had a canal which provided the line for it in the same way that the Monkland did. Yeah. And as a result of not having that Mary Hill Motorway... That part of the city is now very poorly served by road. Yeah. And we look at these major roads going, it's Mary Hill Road. What's the other road? Is it Garscube Road? What's the other major road that goes Great up? Great Western Road, Garscube Road, yeah. and the one that goes out, Balmore Road. Balmore Road yeah. are horrendous. Yes. They're not nice environments. The motorway there could have taken a lot of this kind of regional traffic and stuff away from it. Yeah. Uh, and so on, and allowed these streets to be better for walking cycling and buses and things like that yep. so I, no um I, hindsight i think cancellation of the mary hill motorway was a yep. huge mistake in my view and this is my personal view okay the only road that was justifiably cancelled from the highway plan mm-hmm. was the south link motorway yes because oh, this... of, because of the potential impact in Strathbungo mm-hmm. and queen's park shame it as, was a handy one as we spoke about before <laughs> yeah so in my view that's the only one really that was justifiably cancelled yeah. because of its potential impact on the surroundings yeah. all the others and the Mary Hill Motorway is probably the one after that that's most controversial but most of the other schemes in the highway plan and then the Greater Glasgow Transportation Study 90% of those were going through empty land exactly. and most of them would still would be so, and we just spoke there's most of this podcast about the CDAs yeah. of the never built other sides and this is the other part of um, Stuart's question yeah. is should the those flanks 
have been built with hindsight. Well, yes, yes. because the, yeah. the, the the corridor was basically cleared for these for redevelopment yep. anyway, and then it suffered from years for planning blight. Yep. You know where these these sections were never developed yep. because the road might be coming, might That's not right. be coming. Yep. For goodness sakes. Go and build it. Now, I know the 74 came along, negating perhaps yeah. the use for the south... The south flank. The south flank, yeah. but we are mm-hmm. still me- missing that, that Something that east, in the east, yeah. You know? Again, in my personal opinion, the 1973 version of the east flank was the best option. This was the one with the, the, the kind of, well, minimal impact <clears throat> of yeah. Glasgow Green. So I had the, the tunnel, <laughs> yeah. um, cut and cover tunnel in front of the cathedral yeah, and at the bar in the church. And it then had this high-profile crossing going over Glasgow Green and the River Clyde. And we've shared some slides showing that yeah. uh, recently. Uh, I think the 1973 scheme was as good as it one. got for the east flank. They should have gone yeah. with that. So now, answer that question with, uh, with hindsight. Now, mm. it's, uh, they should have built them. What's the other thing he's, he's talking about? Uh, Will car usage decline after coronavirus crisis is over? I have a view on this, but I am interested to see what yours might be. I think immediate in the immediate aftermath we will, uh, particularly for the commuter, because I think, you know, based on some of my own experiences here, uh, demonstrated that we can work from home. So I think a lot of employers, employees as well, will also make the case, well, actually, I was doing okay working from home. I don't need to go in every single day. Yeah. So that's going to change the dynamic a little bit, mm-hmm. but in the short term, because what happens is, like everything, the country will grow, the economy will grow, and car usage will go up again. My personal opinion on this is that more people will be inclined to use their cars in the immediate future because there will be some uh, fear of using public of transport because are the handrails clean? Am I going to wait in a queue? We've all be become germophobic. <laughs> exactly. So I think that actually of the people who need to go to work, I think more of them may use private transport because it'll feel safer. But on the back of what you said, I think traffic overall may be lower because more people will probably now work from home. Yeah. But, and I'm going to make this point, before everybody starts jumping up and down and saying, yeah, 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 that means we can close some of the motorways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would point out that the network of motorways that we have in Glasgow and in Scotland as a whole, with the exception of the M8 between Bailiston and Newhouse, Mm -hmm. the rest of that network was designed for 1990s levels of traffic. Mm -hmm. And that's basically the level that we may well be lucky enough to get back to. So what we're looking at now is the way they should be running. Basically. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So don't... don't, Well, well, no, hang on. Don't remove something. That's that's not quite the case because the the flows in the last few weeks have actually been more akin to the late 1970s in Glasgow in the early 80s rather than the 90s. So there's a lot more capacity in the system than is using it at the moment. Mm-hmm. So it can take a, a lot more traffic than is using it at the moment and still be free-flowing. Yeah. But if you bring it back to 2020 levels, then we're going to go back to the same old problems. So I think if we were to flatten out in 90s, 1990s levels of traffic, the motorway system as it is would flow nicely Yeah. because that was the, the design year or design decade for most of it. Yeah. Except yeah. Bailson to Newhouse, which has a lot more capacity. In fact, Bailson to Newhouse in the M8 is the only motorway scheme constructed in the last 20 years that provided additional capacity. Everything else that's been built has provided just the same just level. Just the same level of capacity. The M74 completion, you could say that was a whole new road, so that was new capacity. Yeah, mm. kind of, but yeah, it kind of took. It. But if you're looking at something like the M80, like we discussed yeah, last podcast, I, then yeah, that was something where yeah. they. They thought we'll keep it and up. Queensferry Crossing, and you know, you know it's like mu- that. much to their peril. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, but no, as you say, Bellison, you know, it's built with a huge amount of additional capacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well done. So, okay, uh, does that answer that question? We could probably probably move on to some of the others now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, the... oh, well, actually, just before we go into, it, there's a few replies here. Uh, Brian Eagle says to Stuart McRae, "This is face." Brian Espy. Is it Espy? You need to put the lights on in here because I can barely read this. Do you know? not like sitting in the dark? No, <laughs> I'm always kept in the dark. Sure. <laughs> trying to read. Um, okay, so they should be pedestrianising the city centre while they have the chance. Says. Well, they, um, they've done that bit, didn't they? That's, that's kind of done. I mean, Glasgow is a city centre that actually has quite a lot of pedestrianisation already and a lot mm. of the footways and pavements and things were widened um, yeah. years ago. Um, anyway, 
So is there much more pedestrianisation to be done in Glasgow? The know. Avenues projects are already kind of providing a form of that already. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they really need to go much further with that. Let's be honest, you pedestrianise things because you want people to access facilities. By the mm-hmm. time this crisis is over, we'll be lucky if there's a shop left. <laughs> you know, and, and, and considering the changing nature of the high street, yeah, and the changing nature of the way people eat th- and y- drink, yeah, and these sorts of things, in 10 years' time, is there going to be the same demand for busy pedestrianised streets like there were in the 70s and 80s? I, I don't know. I think there'll be a shift from retail to, to more leisure things, you know. And, even and, uh, even you, some aspects of leisure aren't particularly you know, doing well. But, uh, well, at the moment... I think like casual dining and, you know, you know places like that aren't um, exactly doing well. But uh, not everybody wants to drive to an out-of-town... No. Retail park with your homogenous chain restaurant. Some people like something with a bit bit of bit of vibe to it. You yeah, know? and you will get that um, in the city centre. But yeah. I think it's quite good to have both, you know? So mm-hmm. um we'll we'll see. Gavin Spence says something here, but I can't read his entire comment. Uh, he says Glasgow was ahead of its time. It actually managed to get the M eight built before the tide turned on inner city motorways. The motorway was a great mobiliser for the city and allowed the population to move out of the city centre. Yeah, I mean that, that's a key point. It was something that John Cullen always said that the motorway system mobilised people mm. in a way that nothing up until that point. Maybe had. we could go. To, we could go to other places. We could yeah. travel. You know, your your kind of area that you could work in was suddenly increased. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Uh, exactly so there's that aspect as well yeah mm-hmm. alright okay. right you got another question for me Stuart? I do indeed and it's from one of our old friends Jonathan oh, yeah. Towers he hates the M90 or does he love the M90 I think he loves the M90 <laughs> I think yes he's my kind of guy we've got an M90 lover and an M90 hater and I can't quite remember who's who I think there's a lot of M90 haters out there, yeah one's right one's wrong anyway right. Jonathan asks hmm. could should the Scottish office in the UK government of the time um, have better integrated and supported the corporation's plans to create a better system across Scotland into England. Um, and one off topic, but maybe for another day, are motorway builders, engineers, specialists like in the railways, or are the skills from other areas of construction reasonably transferable? Uh, well, you get the same people showing up in construction projects time after time. Okay, let's deal with that one completely separately. Okay. Because that's a whole other issue. That's a good question. Uh, right? It's a very good question. Okay, so the um, first one about this thing, uh, could have should the, the Scot- you know, Scottish office and stuff at the time better integrated, supported the corporation's plans to create a better well, system? Yes. Right. Well, th- this came along later, didn't it? With the, yeah. I mean, it was during the, was it during the Thatcher government that um, mm. there was a big, priority to the m74 for the m74 let's get yes. that done 1987 that was made official yeah. policy that the whole a74 the remaining a74 would be upgraded to motorway standard and we have this motorway but what about the east but, well i think right i i know what i know what jonathan's point is and he's saying well there's all these other proposed motorways and the scottish office didn't buy into them or didn't support them immediately and he's quite right but mm. but we have and I, we always try and do this Let's go back to 1963, okay? Mm-hmm. And someone going from Glasgow to Edinburgh has to crawl along either an urban boulevard-type yeah, road through the East End, Edinburgh Road. Yep. Then you would go on to a, a semi-urban, semi-rural stretch through Lanarkshire, and then you would hit this three-lane carriageway, single carriageway through Hart Hill and areas like that, death traps, basically before crawling through other various villages of West Lothian, before you would get anywhere near Edinburgh. They then come along and say, yeah, let's build this dual two-lane motor with hard shoulders along its entire length and a completely new route from Newbridge all the way to Bailiston, and then we'll tie in with your proposal from Bailiston to Hillington, and then we'll build our bit from Hillington basically all the way to Port Glasgow yeah. as dual carriageway. That, to them, was supporting the corporation's plans. They were working in tandem to provide improved links across Scotland across scotland think of what that m8 was like before yeah before no, it was exactly. you know compared to compared to the old road and think of the traffic flows they were so minimal that mm. dual two-lane motorway at that time was providing was, was sufficient more than enough capacity to deal with the traffic mm. at and the time. bypassing things as well but part of his question goes on to create a better system across scotland oblique into england well I would, yeah again well the m74 the southern sections that that's were, what I was that saying, were built, First, so we had the Hamilton Bypass, that was mm-hmm. good, that took it away from the towns. Yep. We then get the first stretch, the extension south in 1986 and 87, it took it down to Mill Bank, 
So we removed the kind of a substandard dual carriageway bit of A74 through Les Mahego. Mm-hmm. So we so we proved that. And then you were on the, the dual carriageway A74, which was reasonable for low traffic flows, but as that started to increase the safety record, you know, went down yeah. and it wasn't very nice. And they then did that. It's it's a difficult one for me and my my view to be able to say that they didn't support proposal to improve communications because in 1963 when they came up with this plan and said we're going to do all these brand new roads yeah. across Scotland had they all happened within 10 years which is what they'd hoped initially it would look brilliant but because it all came piecemeal over 30 years and like think attitudes of, changing yeah, and, and thinking and of like the M80 bit that only mm. happened in 2011 and, and other parts of the M74 and the network they, they came so much later that yeah it does look as though actually it was all disjointed and, and but no, it was part of a wider plan. Yeah. But we would, it would be nice, you know, for the A1 <clears throat> in particular in the yeah. east to be, it can be continuously dual. Exactly. And that's where the strategies of Transport Scotland and Highways England have to have to align. Yeah. I suppose the A9 being dual to Inverness and, and we've got the mm. A90 all the way up to Aberdeen now and then the A96. They were all part of, that part of strategies for connectivity. Yeah. And they're yeah. all Scottish office or Scottish government funded. Yeah. Um, you know, now. So it's kind of difficult to say that they never... I mean, in terms of these regional and local routes in Glasgow, like the Cumbernauld to Hamilton Motorway, for example, mm-hmm. I, I think it was difficult to think that they were ever going to buy into routes like that at that time. Yeah. Because local government was funded in a, a very different way at that point, and, and they would have had the money, with some support from the Scottish Development Department, say, to take it forward through a grant, but certainly the Scottish office wouldn't have taken it on. Where I think the Scottish office maybe did let things down a bit hmm. was through the lack of support maybe for some of the peripheral roads. You like mean like North Link? Regional kind of importance yeah. roads. So the bypass yeah. roads that rings, hmm. the outer rings. I think that maybe a wee bit more foresight there and saying, well, hang on. But then it's difficult to argue that as well because they assumed that then a ring road was going to happen in one go and that would help traffic initially and it was going to develop. They were building a lot more roads at once back then than they they are now. It's it's a difficult one to answer. Good though. That's a great question. discussion point over that. It is a great question. So there's another question here. So this is the one where he asks, um, you said earlier about, just to paraphrase it, kind of motorway builders, engineers, specialists like on the railways or yeah. are skills from other areas of construction reasonably <sighs> transferable? So somebody who's maybe been working for a house building company, I don't know, Barrett Homes or something like that, and then they suddenly come into, oh, they're going to be working on part of the A9. Oops, somebody's popular. Somebody's popular. That's, that's also getting <laughs> another question in by the same things. <laughs> I, I would say the answer to that depends on the level that you're at hmm. within the industry. So, so if, should we st- should we talk about construction? Think about construction in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you will get guys, labourers, operatives, um, general you know skilled workers mm-hmm. who will move perhaps between a road site and then a house building yep. site. They might build roads on a new housing development. You know, you mm-hmm. get curbers. Uh, guys who are yeah, surfacing general civils uh, yeah. is, is, is very much so you're right when you do a development it's not just houses there's drainage that yeah. needs to go in there's yeah. curbing there's footways there's, there's, so and that will transfer they, that will transfer but the guys doing the work ultimately have skills that are tied to the highway so it might be that they put drainage in or they put mm-hmm. curbs down or they, you know, they put footways in yeah. uh, and then they'll then move and then they can be working on a motorway the yeah. next time you know. So, so I suppose in a sense they can jump between types of civils they can operative wise as well uh people operatives can also be as in the workforce can be specialized in certain things such as plant operators yeah plant operators hold certain tickets that's right and the same thing applies in the railways as well but when you start to get into the engineering side Mm -hmm. so a bit like yourself and i Mm -hmm. civil engineering civil engineering so i'm i'm a chartered engineer Mm -hmm. civil engineer but i have focused on highways so I wouldn't be able to go away and design a new skyscraper, yeah. for example. My focus has been on highway infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So like highway structures, bridges, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And John, you're the same. You specialise 
in civil engineering. In civil engineering, you know, but sort of related like, to the highway side. Yeah, right. That's right, because you're, as I always say, the bridges guy, mm-hmm. and I deal more with road stuff. So yeah. it's kind of the same. You, you made a thing between, you know, what you do and skyscrapers. I'd be the same probably, you know, yes, I could, I could design a road, but but looking at bridges and you, stuff you like that. You wouldn't go a different... and design a drainage system for a housing estate, No, not and really, I, because it's something very different. Or a foul, foul sewer <clears> system, which is, exactly. which is completely different, yeah. you know. So, so, yeah, so it's kind of similar to the railways in the sense that we have highway engineers yeah. um, and it's the same with people who design roads mm. um, you know traffic engineers they wouldn't necessarily have skills that they could transfer into other industries or other parts of the, the industry yeah. um, you know they're specialists um, so yeah, yeah. It, and it, it there's a lot of specialist things that, that highways operatives have as well mm. so moving more into the, the maintenance side of things which you know is, is where I work these guys uh, you know have to have quite a, a, a broad kind of uh, portfolio <laughs> to call it that of tickets such as things are dealing with traffic management and live traffic and so on and you know there's there's lots of training that goes in with those things so you need to have a lot of those things to work in that sector yeah no you're yeah. Ab- you're absolutely right that's yeah. a great question i'm surprised no one's asked that it's before, one of the biggest actually. barriers i found with <clears throat> some of the people trying to get into our industry yeah you know at that at that level that operative level is oh you need to have hgv this you need to have these traffic management tickets and so on but one thing that does tie the two sectors together if you do want to hop is a good knowledge of cdm and health and safety because these things are very transferable cdm uh, construction design management regulations 2015 for those who aren't aware sorry sorry for the jargon but yeah, yeah those things if you have a good understanding of these things you know that'll always sound impressive yeah no absolutely absolutely uh okay that ties up the questions for this episode oh is, um, that, is that all yeah that's all we've got this time i think i think that was more than enough that we're quite taxing those I questions i was actually really i know i was enjoying that i like it when we get a bit more in depth than yeah. sometimes i feel we rush these i know and uh i like to spend a bit of time you know they're no, all really really good i know so before we conclude the episode mm. i'm just going to give a sort of a broad overview of where we're heading in the next uh, few episodes mm. episode 29 which will come out after this one will be on another general subject episodes 30 and 31 will celebrate the 50th anniversary of the kingston bridge which falls on the 26th of june friday the 26th of june now there was originally an intention that there would be some high profile events surrounding the anniversary unfortunately the current situation has led to their cancellation. So what we've decided is we're going to have a few online events that will celebrate it instead. So episodes 13 and 31 will focus on the Kingston Mm. Bridge. So I'm sorry, but the the big party with the free bar is cancelled. Yes, that is a real shame. (laughs) Uh, The intention is, and again, it all depends on how things pan out the rest of the year, there was intended to be an exhibition like we had last summer with some additional stuff focused on Kingston. That will probably happen eventually, but we don't know when. So what we're going to do is we're going to make all our material available online and there'll be a nice new Kingston webpage article coming along Ooh, as well. I, I've, I've seen some of this and it looks really and good. one or two other surprises that we're working on at the moment. So stay tuned for those. Now, I think I asked last month for anybody, who, anyone who had any Kingston stories that they wanted to share, please get in touch with them. Yeah. Uh, we want to know them. We want to, we want to quote you. We want to list your tale on the new article mm-hmm. and your experiences of Kingston, be them good, bad or indifferent. So get in touch. Um, if you have any um okay well we've got our usual script for rounding this up i'm just shuffling my notes here to find it. Uh, thanks for joining us as always on the glasgow motorway archive podcast uh, make sure you visit our website glasgows-motorways.org.uk where you can listen to all our previous episodes and learn all about the glasgow motorway system there are literally thousands of photographs and articles and plans and there facts are more and, and more being there. added every day there's more and more being added every day i don't think people are necessarily aware of that please go on and check it out yeah certainly so you can also subscribe to us at apple podcasts on spotify or at podbean to make sure you never miss a show while you're at it be sure to leave us a rating on apple podcasts and tell your friends and colleagues about us if you've enjoyed what you've heard here be sure to find us on facebook twitter and Instagram for a daily fix. And I think at that point, I'll add that there have now been 10,000 individual downloads of the podcast uh, throughout 2019 and up oh, to now fantastic. in 2020. That's fantastic. So people are uh, still listening, clearly. People are still listening. We are getting many listeners every day and we've had a few ratings through Apple. We actually charted in the top 50 for history podcasts in Britain over the last few weeks during the crisis as well because there's fantastic. been more episodes. So that's good. So please keep listening. We're keeping everybody entertained. Yep. Good. Exactly. Uh, and... You will see regular updates on the social media channels, as John says. 
In the meantime, that's all for episode 28. We should be back with you in the next week or so. Probably a couple of weeks, I would imagine. Yeah. More exciting things coming soon. So we hope to see you then. Yeah. See you later. Bye for now. Bye. <laughs>